Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast, and I'm your host, Harmony Slater. I'm here today with Russell Case, and he's finding harmony. I'm here to find harmony. I'm also noticing that you used to refer to me as your husband, but you're not, you don't do that anymore. (laughs) He is my husband indeed. (laughs) And so we're just going to have a little chat. I think you had some kind of question for me. Well, I, I do. Um, You're a religious studies major and it's, there are a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about that, especially as our, I know I like to call myself a Jew, but I'm only, only by birth, but there, I think there, there are things about us as Christians or as Jews that when we come to yoga, certain things kind of come up for us and that are, that are interesting. And I wanted to ask you more about that. Um, for example, I was in, uh, we were in, in India last year, we were in, we were in Goa, mm-hmm. and oh, we were in Delhi, and we were driving to the Taj Mahal, and it's like total whiteout from the fires. Do you remember that? Do you remember when, when the smog w- w- wouldn't allow us to see like more than a... I think it was just fog. Just in the fog. morning we were driving morning fog was it morning fog. burning bush fog no it was just morning fog on the road from agra to delhi we were driving back to delhi to catch a flight from being at the taj mahal mm-hmm. and yeah it was a complete whiteout and it was extremely um terrifying because you couldn't see the road in front of you even maybe one meter mm-hmm. yeah it was terrifying yeah that was a, it was pretty it was very exciting somehow in this car ride i got into a conversation with your mom who was with us as your dad mm-hmm. and uh and jedi of course was with us the five of us had gone to india together and we we're going to go to purple valley and go and i remember just talking about and i think i was speaking in a kind of metaphorical way try and illustrate a uh, a, a, a point on Vedanta mm-hmm. which is that you know all things are um, part of all things all things are divine in that uh, anything and everything is divine by its manifestation mm-hmm. including ourselves and your mom really was upset your mom got upset with me Mm -hmm. and she said you know that's arrogant to call yourself divine that's arrogant i was like how could it be arrogant to say that the smallest most insignificant thing is also divine we had a kind of a a big a big it was tense (laughs) yeah i don't know if it was big of a big conflict or a big fight but i just remember it was tense and both of us i could see were stewing on our on our point of view point of view yeah. yeah yeah particular point of view do you remember that i don't really remember that conversation no huh because it was stuck it stuck with it stayed with me yeah 
and so it kind of called back a little bit to what we were talking about last week. And last week we were talking about vagal tone and we were talking about the experience of, of dropping from one part of your nervous system to, to the other. And we talked a little bit maybe about what experiences cause that to happen. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I think this is really at the root of the mystic experience is when you have this deeply, profoundly biological, physiological, and emotional response to your environment and, and something shifts for you and there's insight, there's a realization and and right at that moment that's you know like a church is formed a religion is formed out of that mystic experience Mm -hmm. it's interesting i think in in india there's always been this sort of dual perspective um kind of floating around uh non-duality versus sort of qualified non-duality versus dualism um, and they've learned to coexist uh, within, you know, the same, a similar framework, maybe not the exact same framework, but I had it explained to me once that it was like a doll made of salt that wanted to know where it came from. And so this is, again, like we are, we're these dolls of salt. We want to know what our source is, what our origin is. And this is our religious quest, our religious pursuit, or our mystical quest, our mystical pursuit. And the salt doll goes on a journey and eventually finds itself at the ocean. And it arrives at the ocean and hears a voice that says, this is your source. You've arrived. And one salt doll is very in awe and just wants to sit beside the ocean, wants to sit on the shore and listen to the waves and gaze and just enjoy that experience of, of being beside, of being with, of abiding near its source. And the other salt doll wants to jump in and so it goes and jumps into the ocean and dissolves and so this i think is a nice illustration of how different people can understand still have a very deep mystical experience but can understand it in different ways in in the one way somebody feels like they want to completely dissolve all boundaries, all um, duality, all things, and just merge with that oneness so that there is no more uh, Lord or God or person or being. Everything is just all one ocean, one source, one energy. And the other earthling or salt doll <laughs> uh, wants to just be with that 
divine presence or that divine source and not completely let itself dissolve. It still is enjoying its embodied form. And as long as it's in its embodied form, it's going to have this mystical experience of being near but not uh, completely dissolved. I think it's sort of even a nice illustration of the uh, perspectives of Shaivism versus Vaishnavism, um, where, you know, more in Shaivism is a complete non-dual uh, God is all things, all things are God and, and, or Brahma and everything else is an illusion or just a manifestation and the, the impermanence, the coming and the going makes it not real, not lasting, not eternal and therefore it's, it's not, uh, uh, what do you say, it's not important in a, in a certain sense lacks yeah. substance mm -hmm. uh, and so then in the Vaishnavism is more of a worship a devotion a uh, feeling that God is is outside of you but also inside of you but still maintains a separate identity external to you as well and and as long as you're embodied there's ongoing worship, there's ongoing communion, there's a, a similarity, a taste of the divine within you, but the divine itself is something uh, much larger and greater and, and uh, not, you're not able to encompass that source completely. Certainly, in that moment, I was thinking that I should paint a giant V on your mom's forehead. <laughs> I'm not sure she would have appreciated it. Maybe uh, not. <laughs> so think about the. I think about how you know fixed we get into our values, and we're we're both suffering in that moment. And we're you know held to particular points of view, and it's amazing that Vaishnavites and Shaivites coexist in India. But, <laughs> I was thinking about how uh, there was a yoga sutra that I wanted to ask you about, and I couldn't quite remember. And it was about uh, the the attachment to a thing that you like. And I I was thinking about how, uh, you know, we do these yoga practices, mm -hmm. and the yoga practices mimic uh, physical states of being when we're happy, mm -hmm. like a backbend. Uh, you go into a backbend, you would never open up your body like that unless you were joyous, unless right. you were, unless you had scored a touchdown. <laughs> and then you're like running down the field, screaming, happy, arms up. Yeah. Touchdown. Wonderful. You know, that's, that's, we do that in Yekam, in right. the Surya Namaskar. We open up our arms and we feel, and the, the body is mimicking that state of mind. Mm -hmm. The body is mimicking the posture you would take in that state of mind. Also, particular there are particular rooms that are conducive to your yoga practice. Mm -hmm. And we can say that we can judge this room is good for yoga, that room is not so good for yoga. And the room is 
maybe beautiful with good air, it's clean, maybe there's some beautiful things in the room and it is, becomes conducive to the experience. And we start to again have the same state of mind that we would have if we, were, if we actually were happy. Mm -hmm. We start to mimic that feeling mm -hmm. and then we start becoming happier. Right. And then that that thing happens where you do have a mystic experience. It is cultivated and you start becoming attached to that room. Right. That's the right room for it. And churches are the same way. You walk into a room and it's a big vaulted ceiling. There's stained glass. There's beautiful sounds. There's and and those beautiful sounds lead itself to an experience that is nice and that we like and we associate the nice feeling with that space and then we, we try and go back to it yeah I think all things are a little bit like that I mean even subtler things like our attachments to our ideas or a philosophy is or, or coffee or coffee yeah coffee you know, or, or a, a sense the way the world is, we have maybe a thought or are introduced to a certain way of seeing the world or a belief system, and we have either a positive or a negative sensation or experience or feeling in association with that introduction. And if it's positive, then we want to repeat that experience or we, we integrate that belief. We say, oh, yes, the world must be like this because I felt joyous when I was introduced to this idea or had this thought. And so we hang on to those ones. And, and then other ones, maybe it was introduced in a negative way. We felt maybe afraid or intimidated. And so then we think, oh, that must be not good because you associate it with a negative experience. And then, again, we fall into this, um, I guess, the, the pendulum swing or the back and forth of the raga and the dwesha, the desire and the aversion, and continually chasing the things that we like, reinforcing the raga, the desire, and trying to constantly avoid the things that we don't like, the dwesha, the aversion. And it's, it's sort of an interesting um, thing that happens because it happens at a very subtle level. I mean, obviously, some things are obvious. They happen at an obvious level. If you have uh, a good experience, you know, drinking a glass of wine, you want to repeat that experience. It makes you feel relaxed or happy or uh, you maybe fell in love over... A glass of wine at dinner is something we associate positive things with it. If you uh, grew up with an alcoholic parent or maybe uh, drank too much tequila one night and almost like vomited, died or something, maybe you have a negative association with that. And you're mm -hmm. like, I'm never touching that stuff again, right? And so in some ways it's very obvious this how these things play into our habits, but when it comes to thoughts or beliefs or um, feelings towards people even, it's not always so obvious. Could you, could you read that sutra? Do you have it? 
Well, the ones about the Raga and the Dvesha come from the second chapter of the Yoga Sutras, uh, where they're talking about kleshas, because these are kleshas like are the obstacles or the afflictions. Basically, they're the afflictions of the human condition. They're things that we're born with and born into. And even babies have them. Babies really operate with raga and duesha. They're hungry, they cry, they get food, they're happy, right? They start to make these associations very quickly at a very uh, instinctual level. They're always there with us. And so it says sukha nushai ragaha, which is uh, attachment follows when we become identified with pleasurable experiences. And then dukkha nushai dveshaha, aversion, is that which follows when we uh, identify painful experiences. You know, a little bell went off for me when I heard that. It was, so, <laughs> it was amazing. It was like a. It was like Christ came down and touched my my forehead. That was amazing. <laughs> I was also going to say I was thank you for having that that uh, sutra handy it reminded me of like when Julia Childs always had like a um, an example of a ready-made turkey that she had just showed you like 30 minutes how to make the turkey but and here and here here's the turkey I've already made it's like but that was here the whole time <laughs> I think I mean another interesting example of how culture influences these things is in Christianity you have like the serpent or the snake and this is usually has a very negative connotation to it, right? It's a serpent in the Garden of Eden and it's, you know, Satan or the devil or uh, the being of the underworld has taken form as the snake and tempted Adam and Eve. And because of the serpent or the snake, they've been thrown out of paradise, right? So uh, from, coming from a Judeo-Christian point of view, we always are very... Uh, a little bit of aversion towards snakes, right? Mm -hmm. We grow up with this aversion. Well, in India, snakes are very prevalent. They're everywhere. <laughs> and they ha have a very different association with snakes. Not a negative association, but uh, in Indian mythology, the serpent is uh, very auspicious and it's worshipped as a being that guards land and also uh, rivers, sources of water, um, children. And, you know, in many of their depictions of the gods or the deities, there's snakes involved. So Shiva has his snake wrapped around his neck and Patanjali even is depicted as a half man, half serpent and is said he is um, connected or the same, the incarnation of the uh, Adi Shesha or the uh, serpent bed that Vishnu sleeps on, Vishnu being the god of preservation and Adi Shesha being sort of the infinite, the infinite or the, um, you know, uh, source of time, the world and the universe sits on the hoods of the Adishesha. And so serpents are considered to be quite um, integrated into the even origin of, of the cosmos. And uh, often savior type uh, beings. 
rather than deceivers and um, condemners or, you know, evil beings. And so it's interesting how different cultures also create these aversions or desires or feelings, good feelings or bad feelings towards something as neutral, really, as a snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was th- I love using the words like cultivate and culture when we're, we're talking about uh, spiritual or mystic experiences because they so quickly become cultish. Mm-hmm. And I think cults cultivate uh, attachment. And you, you, you had read that earlier that um, about um, cultivating an attachment to that which is, which is pleasurable. Yeah, I mean, we, we join a, a group of people, a group of practitioners, or a group of um, people who are like us, or think like us, or eat like us, or practice like us. Or... But, but also that, that <laughs> we are led to not just join, but we, are, um, we start to create cultural mores, or societal mores, that this is right behavior mm-hmm. and this is wrong behavior. Uh, for example, a, a Korean Buddhist monk should wear gray clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the same reason that anyone else wears a particular kind of set of clothes, like this is, this is the most you know, efficient, cheapest, best way <laughs> to get clothing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you go to the forest sangha in Thailand, everything is in saffron. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, again, that those things are, are expedient and cheap to find. <laughs> but you must wear that color all the same. And so, so quickly with the mystic experience and so quickly when we, we associate joy with a particular room or house mm-hmm. we also start to or color or color <laughs> goodness we also start to modify our behavior to suit that environment mm-hmm. so we wear our sunday best mm-hmm. when i go over to your parents house i wear my sunday best because <laughs> it's sunday and we're christian <laughs> that's why i i wear you know I, I wear a shirt that is buttoned down the front yeah because god you know God, the Lord forbid, God forbid I wear a shirt that is not unbuttoned, you know, that has no seams, you know, right. I, don't know what, I don't know what that's, but it's, you know, it's why, why would buttons, I don't know, but it's, and so there's, I was also thinking about how we, we cultivate, uh, you know, modes of thought and ways of, ways of thinking, and that also starts to become uh, within a boundary or within a frame that we have to that we have to to sit in mm-hmm. you know whether you were talking about you know whether you're a Vaishnavite or a Shaivite mm-hmm. and you know whether you um, are in in the Shinto religion and you should tie rope around living organisms or you know there 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 are ways in which we have to think about the divine thing and and you we have we have to follow that way of thinking around that divine thing i mean there is there is and there isn't that's that's the catch right that we 
make these associations, we uh, collect together uh, in a common belief circle or around people that make us feel good mostly. Um, and we're attracted to those things and, and it's all fine. Um, it's natural because we're human and we're living in a, a world or in an embodied form where we're constantly needing to make sense of the world. So we're constantly needing to create these dichotomies. We're needing to put name and form to everything. Uh, and this is something, this nama rupa, right? This name, this form, it's something that is we... Is that what that means? Yeah, that's what that means. Nama is name and rupa is form. Yeah, we can't get away from it because that's that's who we are. We're We're human beings and that's what we do. We make meaning and we put names to things and as soon as we put a name to something uh, we put it in a category we start to make these hierarchies and these categories and right and wrong and yes and no and up and down and in and out and me and you and us and them and we're continually uh, creating this dichotomy but they're all it's all just made up because the root of the mystic experience is that all forms are obliterated. Yeah. You are unified. Yeah. I mean, when you really, if you really go down scientifically, it's all the same atoms, just different combinations of the exact same particles. And it's, I mean, it's carbon, you know, oxygen, um, probably a little bit of nitrogen, <laughs> a little bit of something mm -hmm. else. And mm -hmm. if you go down even further, it's just protons, neutrons, electrons. If you go down even further, it's it's all the same subatomic particles. And so really it is all the same stuff. Like you're the same as the wall. You're the same as the tree. You're the same as the dog. You're the same as the floor. You're the same as the thing you're sitting on. In fact, you're not even sitting on it. You're actually kind of slightly floating uh, because nothing ever really is like fully compressed and touching something else they're just particles interchanging with each other at certain speeds and rates mm -hmm. and so when you really like start to meditate on this and like let it sink in and integrate this not just understanding but like a knowing an experiential kind of sense of this reality because that is reality uh it you see how these categories these distinctions these um you know, qualities and characteristics are really meaningless. They don't, they don't even exist. They're just made up to help us function in the world and like drive our car from one place to the next and not step in front of a moving bus. And, you know, they, they help us stay alive, which is good, <laughs> you know, seemingly. I mean, really staying alive is not really good or bad, actually, but... You know, most most of us have a have a sense that we want to stay alive. What, what did what did we see last night? It was we Kendall was Kendall Roy in Succession. He was saying, "Words words aren't anything. Words are just complicated airflow." Complicated airflow, exactly. And that's I mean, and again, it's 
when you really sit and concentrate on sound, that's all it is, is complicated airflow. Mm -hmm. It's just noises. They don't actually mean anything. I, I, pro I project <laughs> meaning onto the complicated airflows that you make. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's actually quite miraculous that we understand each other at all when we, you think about it. We don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe we don't. I think sometimes we don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't at all. I was thinking. I was thinking about this that you you had mentioned this earlier earlier today, where you you have this building, where we have a mystic experience in it, and we try to cultivate good feeling, and good association with this building. In one building, you have uh, a Buddha. And the Buddha is golden, and the Buddha is modeling right behavior, um, uh, sitting softly in half lotus, being in a in the the middle state, neither too ascetic or or uh, too undisciplined, but right in the middle, straight back, soft smile, and you should go into that Buddhist room mm -hmm. and model that behavior. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And then in this other room, you've got this uh, uh, guy hung up on the wall, <laughs> and he's had a wretched, horrific yeah. time of it yeah. for you. The death he on the cross. He did that yeah. for. He did that <laughs> for you. He endured the most horrifying obscenities, so that you could and and mm -hmm. God knows how many millions of demons had their way with him in the three days in hell he did all of that for you and your souls that you could be saved mm -hmm. and yet mm -hmm. in both rooms people walk into it and uh and light matches that their sons will get good act scores <laughs> yeah both rooms both rooms. the same thing happens yeah. yeah humans tend to worship in similar ways and it doesn't matter so much what what's important is the ACT score yeah <laughs> what's what's interesting is is that we give everything its own value we we make things important and so to a Christian Jesus is the most important not even the most important the only important the only thing the only one um, and I mean that's that's again a, con a construct of our mind and I'm you know it's not about making things right or wrong it's it's fine that's if that works for someone it's it actually creating a one-pointedness of your mind you can easily move into a state of meditation if You've taken Christ yeah. as your Ishwara or your special Purusha, your Lord or your divine image of yourself, the, the uh, being that you want to become most like and embody the qualities of. If that's who you've set above every, everything else, then it becomes very easily to make the mind very calm and settled and to move into a state of deep contemplation or meditation but but that sort of postmodern self-determinism is very offensive to your mother yeah maybe but it's it's just if you look at reality 
it's all just particles. <laughs> that's that's it, man. It's just consciousness and particles and consciousness and particles and that's all we got. You know, the I mean the interesting thing is scientifically consciousness is very hard to pin down. You know, where does consciousness arise from if we just have the particles that we can see and touch kind of <laughs> maybe not subatomic particles um, and feel uh, but where is where does this consciousness where does awareness rise from it is it in the particles themselves is it part of the particles themselves or is it somehow superimposed onto the particles somehow we I mean scientists these are big scientific questions I don't know that anybody has any right answers uh, to these yet I mean mm. hopefully if someone's listening out there and they they have some right answers that I don't know about please please write in mm. let us know <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it's 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 um, the assumption is that consciousness is, a, is actually a thing and we're not just um, automatons driven by habit uh, that's, can I, can that's I, part of a bigger a bigger uh, <laughs> debate. Can I just ask you though? I'm I'm starting to suspect in the course of our conversation that you're actually maybe not not really Christian. But um, <laughs> do you th did it in any way? Did you feel that your Christian background and and how you were raised and cultivated by your mother did that impact your relationship to? Patabi Joyce, when you first met him, do you feel like that you came to him as a Christian? Um, I mean, I think it's really hard to ever uh, transcend or get out of our indoctrination at a young level, at a young age. But even, even so, even if you weren't born Christian, you're still raised if you are raised in North America or in the West or in Europe in a Judeo-Christian society and even if you're atheist uh, you still have the structure and the underpinnings of that Judeo-Christian culture which is very interesting because um, it is all kind of based on a judgment day and so you have this judgment day and when you have a judgment day you have uh, this dichotomy set up quite naturally. Time is linear, there's a beginning, there's an end, and at the end there's a judgment. And you're either in or you're out, and you're right or you're wrong, and you're good or you're bad, and you're white or you're black. You have all of these distinctions that come with this idea of judgment. And in India, it's interesting, there isn't this idea of a judgment day. Time. <laughs> yeah, time isn't linear, it's circular, and so a person is born, they live, they die, they're born again, they live, they die, they're born again, they live, they die. I mean, this is a very short simplification, but uh, when time is linear, you don't have to feel so much pressure to be any certain way. There's time to learn lessons, there's time to grow. There doesn't need to necessarily be a right or a wrong. They're oh, just when, when time is circular, you mean? Or sorry, circular. Sorry, yeah. I, I said linear. Yeah, when time is circular, you don't have to have this dichotomy so much. You can just allow things to be as they are because somebody needs to go through that and learn that lesson. And it's not that it's right or it's wrong or they're bad or they're good. It's just part of the process. And the process 
is going to take many, many lifetimes, millions of years. And so anytime you're catching a, a glimpse of a person in one life, it's all part of a much, much, much bigger picture. And even uh, this idea of karma and what the things that are happening to someone, it's, you know, if, if something terrible happens to someone, they don't say, oh, that's, that's really bad that that happened to that person. It's sometimes... Um, looked at as like you know in you have to look at it in in the whole picture of their many many lives and so uh i mean which is impossible really to do from a human perspective but you know from a mythological perspective maybe in one life this person did something where they stole something from someone else and that that person had a curse put on them or something and then in their next life they're reaping the, the results of that curse. And so they get something negative from that curse because they did something negative in the past life. They didn't actually, um, they weren't punished or had have anything bad happen to them in that life. And so this is where they get this idea of karma, right? Uh, bad karma, good karma, whatever it is. And so everybody who gets or who is where they're at in their life, whatever they have, good or bad, it's all it's all just cause and effect and so they make sense of things based on a circular idea of time over many 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 lives and so it's not as easy to put things into these categories because um, it's continuous and everything is a cause that has a certain effect and every effect then is a cause for another effect and it just keeps going on and on and on. Um, so I guess in that way, it's it's just a very different kind of way of looking at the world in the East versus the West. And if you're born in the West, it's very challenging to get out of that linear um, perspective or that linear indoctrination, that idea that... Um, this duality is very strong in us and it takes uh, I don't know a lot of a lot of time to kind of unwind and I'm not even sure we can unwind fully from it <laughs> well what I like to say to people is Japan is west of here <laughs> everything is there is no west or east yeah. <laughs> there is no Ooh. north or south <laughs> it's all it's all just well, complicated airflow. That's exactly right. Complicated airflow. That's exactly right. All right. Well, thanks for uh, having this chat with me. We went a little longer than expected, but it was it was a fun conversation about mm. East and West and different religions, and mm. I hope that that you enjoyed it. I did. Thank you. Yeah. I, I've got more questions. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hope our listeners enjoyed it too. Maybe maybe some bells went off for them as well. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're doing in Radio Land. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening today. And um, if you want to listen to more episodes, you can always find them on my website, harmonieslater.com. 
thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a heart